tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Central. The San Francisco 49ers will face off against the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 54. Never before have two quarterbacks with higher winning averages faced off in the Super Bowl. Never before have two teams whose primary color is red faced off in the Super Bowl. The 49ers are going for their sixth gold ring. Chiefs coach Andy Reid could get his first. And all of this will happen at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida. Now, Tertullian, a writer in the early church, trying to understand the relationship between human wisdom and God's revelation, asked, what has Athens, human wisdom, to do with Jerusalem? God's revelation. Today, on this feast when we celebrate Jesus presented in the temple in Jerusalem, maybe the question for us is, what has Miami to do with Jerusalem? First, what might be helpful is just a brief recap, an instant replay, of the gospel we just heard. Jesus, 40 days after his birth, like every firstborn male child in Israel, is brought by his parents to be offered in the temple. And this passage, more than most passages in the gospel, is filled with a plethora of characters. Not just Jesus and Mary and Joseph, but also these two other figures. Simeon, this elderly man, a prophet, who's awaiting Israel, and Anna, this prophetess, who the gospel tells us is 84 years old and is also awaiting the Messiah. And all of the tension, all the excitement, and the fight of this gospel is all about getting this child Jesus into the temple where he belongs. Into the temple because... He's a human being and fulfills the prescriptions of the Mosaic law, but also into the temple because he is God. The prophet Malachi told us, and suddenly the Lord whom you seek will come to his temple. And when Jesus came to the temple, he filled it with his presence. Everything, the tension, the excitement, and the fight of this gospel is about getting this child up where he belongs, into the temple. What has Miami to do with Jerusalem? If you watch that game tonight, everything, the tension, the excitement, the fight of the whole event is about getting this one thing up where it belongs. Getting that football into the end zone. Before I was ordained as a deacon, I was traveling, I was on a plane, and I was reading a book 
of sermons by a preacher who's excellent. And I started a conversation, or ended up in a conversation, with the guy sitting next to me on the plane. And he said something that was very freeing to me. He said, you know what? When you're ordained, you're going to give some bad homilies. So folks, buckle in. <laughs> Let's attempt an analogy here. God the Father is our quarterback. He makes the plan. He calls the plays. He initiates the action. And he entrusts this ball to the Blessed Virgin Mary, our most beautiful running back. Now, when you watch tonight, 49ers quarterback Raheem Mostert will run, or can run, on the field in excess of 15 miles an hour. That's crazy. Mary's a way better running back than that. <laughs> and she, like she is here, well, actually, she's not like that in this image, but she will have the child Jesus under her arm, and she's running down the field, trying to get to the temple. And she's protected by an excellent right tackle, or right guard. Joseph, always on Mary's right. He's our right tackle, our right guard. And protected by a whole awesome O-line, not just of Joseph, but of John the Baptist and all the prophets who clear the way on the field, who prepare the way for Mary and Jesus to come into the temple the way they need to. But you know, that game tonight won't be over in one down. It's going to take a lot of strenuous effort, moving forward and getting pushed back. But Mary and Jesus are running. They're running with that ball. They're getting there. They go forward. They get pushed back. They go. But they're running. They're running. Mary breaks open. She goes across the field. And she gets across that line. And Simeon, this prophet who has such clear vision, who can see everything that's going on, puts up his arms. Because he realizes that this isn't just any child entering into the temple, that this is God. And so he says, Lord, now let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. Artists have sometimes depicted Simeon, who has such clear sight, who is able to see God coming to him, as someone who's blind. Because his exterior sight, as he's getting old, can have deteriorated, but something within him has awoken to see God clearly. Maybe like one of those cameras they give the refs when they need to call a call. Now, you might at this point object and say, isn't this homily a little bit of a stretch? A Hail Mary pass? Well, you're right. But there's one more thing that has to happen. It would be enough for Jesus to cross into that end zone to get into the temple and fill it with his glory, but he wants a response from us. So after that ball gets into the end zone, there's one other thing that happens. You can kick it, or... You can run it in for a two-point conversion. conversion. 
This is what God asks of us and invites us to. We're not far away from Lent, and it's not bad to contemplate the conversion we're being invited to. Both allowing God to affirm in us what he wants to affirm, and allowing him to carve out and change what he wants to carve out or change. Because our God was not afraid of our mess. Our God was willing to get scratched up on the astroturf with us so that we knew we weren't doing this alone. If you watch that game tonight, or you don't watch that game tonight, there will be, perhaps, ample opportunity for great food. There will be ads that can satiate your deepest desires to be entertained. But we are worth so much more than even a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl. At some point tonight, it might not be a bad idea to pray, or even to pray now, Lord, thank you for all of these good things with which you've surrounded me. But in the midst of all of them, help me to desire your glory. Help me to desire just you. Amen.